0: We are taking the helm with risk takers who are motivating us to take charge and make things happen with your host, Lynn McLaughlin.
1: Hello, everyone. Our guest today is Mitchell Earl. He's a cowboy turned startup professional. He has had experiences in many different jobs. He's the co-author of a book called Don't Do Stuff You Hate, and at a very young age, he's now the COO at Discover Praxis, where people can unleash their potential with no degree required. Welcome. Nice to have you today, Mitchell.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Lynn. I'm I'm excited about our conversation and looking forward to it.
1: As are we. Now, Praxis is described as a career development experience like no other. Help us understand, Mitchell, what's this all about?
0: Yeah. So... Praxis is a six-month boot camp designed for entrepreneurial young professionals who are looking to gain real-world skills and a self-directed educational experience all in one. When they they graduate the boot camp, they are placed in a full-time job, usually at a growing startup. So it's an opportunity for people who are early on, maybe not sure what they want to do, to get started strong in their careers, and we help them do that through a six-month boot camp.
1: I guess the term boot camp says it all, doesn't it? You're probably not shuffling on through. You're working your tail off for those six months.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. It is. It is an intense six months.
1: And if you're jumping into this boot camp, you are learning about your employability skills. I would say, you are building a platform for your future career. Learning, I believe, from your website, interview skills.
0: Yep. Yeah. I'd say like the the full gamut of. Kind of that last mile that a lot of people struggle with, what do I need to do to become employable there's there's a big emphasis on that, and we actually help people land those jobs but there's also a big component that's focused on helping people gain a better understanding of what career paths and roles are out there for me. I have these interests I have these these skills where where are those valuable in the real world so it's helping gain some context and figure out what are what are some different career paths that would be really strong starting points for me and then actually going and, and helping our participants land those roles by the time they graduate.
1: And my guess would be that the clientele that you're targeting are probably, you know, 20, late twenties, people who are making those big, big ticket decisions about do I leave high school and go right into the world of work? Do I go on to post-secondary college or university? Maybe I've done a year or two in college or university and it's not my path.
0: Yeah. So I would say the, the, the average age demographic of our, customers is, is usually between 18 to 25. We do sometimes have some participants who are a little bit older, but because the types of outcomes we are, we are intensely focused on tend to be entry-level, non-technical roles, it, it usually fares well or better for people who are early on just, just trying to figure out where do I start.
1: And now as the COO of Proxis at a very young age, you didn't get there by chance. Uh, you had to work your way or find your way to get there. Take me back now to the end of secondary school. What was your story? What is your story?
0: Yeah, I, I love this setup because I think that a lot of the things that I struggled with when I was when I was early on just getting started out are a lot of the things that, you know, it's it's so rewarding now to work with people as they work through those same same problems. So um, to rewind in time and and take you back through some of those those hurdles I had to overcome is I I was the high high achieving high school student the 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 kid who who thought he had his entire life planned out from very very early age and it wasn 't until I got into college and and started diving deep into you know so, some different career paths and got exposure to other things that i that I realized for the first time what i 've always thought I wanted to do might not actually be right, and now i don 't have a plan, and that terrifies me and it, it was very difficult for me to break beyond this templated career path. I wanted to go to medical school, or at least that's that's what I set out to, to do. And when I got into college and I started working for a startup and I got exposure to this entirely different, great big world of business out there, I was like, wait, there, there may be something else out here. But there wasn't a really clearly defined path for me. So I, I wrestled with that for years, even after I got out of college and I started taking, you know, I took Tons of different jobs. I just I ran a bunch of experiments in the in the real world, and I don't think I had an, an intentional path. I think I stumbled I stumbled through a lot of entry level jobs and, and different things until I kind of found the thing that fit for me. Um, that that journey for me or that that aha moment was was when I finally started when I finally started pursuing jobs that that interested me versus jobs that I felt mapped well to this. This idea of what I thought I wanted. And that's where, that's kind of where everything changed for me.
1: Now, moving forward to the book that you co authored with Isaac Morehouse called Don't Do Stuff You Hate, you are both suggesting that uh, we've basically got it wrong. I'll, I'll use my own words here. But instead of focusing on what we want and what we love, we should be focusing on what we hate, what we're bored with, and what's draining us. Um, share a little bit more about that book with us, please, Mitchell.
0: Yeah, so I I think that to do it justice, I I have to tell the story of 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 kind of how this book came came to be. So I, I was several years out of college, and because I had decided I didn't want to go to med- medical school, the the next most prestigious sounding thing that came with a, a very clear defined career template was law was law school. Mm-hmm. I knew that I was interested in business, and and I I was beginning to have this epiphany that I think I may want to start my own business someday. I think that I want to be in the world of entrepreneurship, but. I I got out into the real world. I started trying to work toward that goal, but um, it, it wasn't until uh, you know a few years out of school, I was working at a nonprofit um, called Foundation for Economic Education. We were putting on seminars all over the country for for young people stud- interested in e- economics, and uh, that's when I met the founder. Of uh, Praxis, Isaac Morehouse. I was about two weeks away from starting law school at the time, mm-hmm. and he challenged me. He said, "You seem like the kind of person who's who's highly ambitious, driven. You 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 kind of, you know there's something bigger out there. Why are you going back to school?" He's like, "What if I could introduce you to some some people who are who are doing really cool things? They've started some interesting businesses. I think you would be interested in them. Give me one year. If if you don't get a little bit more clarity, you don't find something that excites you in one year, then go back to school." And that that moment was a really big course-altering moment for me. I had to finally make some, you know, I had to finally do some some introspection and and question some of the assumptions. And I realized as I was looking back, you know, I worked at a law law firm for six months. I didn't enjoy it. Mm -hmm. I I worked in financial services, this like very corporate type world for, for over a year out of out of college. I didn't enjoy it. And it it suddenly changed everything for me, the way that I looked at things as, as maybe, maybe the goal here isn't to try and throw the dart at exactly what I want, but instead like, let's, let's, let's make the dart, the dartboard a little bit more clear. (laughs) Let's remove all the things that are not options, the things that I know that I don't want. And that, that approach became a much more deliberate strategy as, as I realized that, you know, looking back at some of the choices I had made. So I think that that, that has become a, a more of a life philosophy over the years, but it's something that, you know, that's, a, that's, that's contradictory, I think, to a, a lot of the advice we grow up thinking about.
1: For sure. It's fascinating how much one person can make such a difference in our lives. So you took that year and you decided not to go back to law school. What happened during that time to make you uh, come to that final conclusion and say, this is it, I'm not going back?
0: Yeah, so it was it was. A wild ride. So um, I ended up moving across the country, and to to give you a little bit, uh, um, pull the curtain back a little bit more about the the journey. There is I I started working remotely for a for a small firm uh, doing um, point of view writing, case studies, presentation designs, or whatever, and and I really didn't like it. And I I didn't want to be a victim of my circumstances, so I was trying to figure out what's a way that I can make this 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 circumstance better. I ended up pitching my business uh the the ceo of the company that i was working with i ended up pitching him this this rather bold strategy of hey you know this is the area you have me working in but but there's this other opportunity i think that i can be a lot more valuable for your business i think i can go help you sign up more clients I, i can help you double your business in the next year i i'm very confident i can do this and i put together this pitch i jumped on a plane to charleston south carolina I'd never been there, I'd, I'd never even met my boss, it was all remote. And we, we not, went out to lunch and I, and I pitched him on this and we, we had no more than sat down and, and he, he completely shut me down before I had shared anything. Uh-huh. And we ended up talking through it, but uh, so that opportunity didn't, did not work out for me. But what did happen is that pitch that I put together got shared with some other people. And I ended up in getting invited to, to meet the CEO of another fast-growing company. He saw the pitch um, and, and we, we talked about it and he, he just asked me straight up. He said, do you think legitimately, do you believe you could have done this for his business? And I said, yes. And he said, then come help me grow my business. And so I, I jumped, I went. I flew to Charleston, South Carolina thinking I was, I was changing my job for one company and it ended up opening up the door for an entirely new opportunity. Um, that business that I ended up joining instead I I was with them for, for almost three years. Um, it was a I was employee number twenty four, and over the course of those three years, we grew from you know just over twenty employees to over one hundred and sixty. We grew from you know doing kind of a early you know, like just over a million dollars in revenue to almost ten. Um, the the growth was absolutely incredible. Uh, we raised. Uh, over twenty million dollars in venture capital, and I got to be kind of in the ground floor on all these different functions of the business, and I got to see it all, and it, it opened up this entirely different world of business for me. And it, it wasn't just this theoretical, um, this this theoretical experience either. I was actually involved day to day with the fun, uh, you know, the day to day functions of the business, and I was getting to learn firsthand from from a really uh, an entrepreneur who I really admired and I learned a ton from, and so after that, it was like i can't go back to school there's There's mm-hmm. so much more in the real world that you know just diving in this way is is a much better, much more rewarding way to learn
1: and How old were you at that time?
0: I was twenty five at the time
1: having had so many life lessons already uh, risk taking of course is a huge component for success. I think we can we could all agree to that. Um, imagine if you hadn't gotten on that plane and gone out to South Carolina, you would have never met the person that literally changed your life. <laughs> you also suggest that as young adults, we should be moving away from our home communities and stepping out of those comfort zones so that we have new experiences that might take us in different directions. Um, you took those chances at a young age, Mitchell and look where you are now.
0: Yeah. And and I don't want to take, I don't want to like pat myself on the back too much. Like a lot of this was by accident. A lot of it was was going out and trying things. And, and leaning in as, as I kind of found things that, that worked well for me, I I did not set out with a deliberate strategy to get where I am today. It was much more of this, this kind of emergent process of, of discovering things that I, that really excited me, things that, that made me want to get out of bed in the the morning and things that I, you know, I, I discovered competence in and just kind of pursuing those and leaning into them versus having some, you know, charted course five-year plan or whatever, which I think is the common approach a lot of people take.
1: Well, I think it 's much more than chance, Mitchell, when people are making those decisions leaving going to post secondary, going into the world of work there 's the employability skills that that people are looking for that future employers are looking for uh, problem solving communication, being a team player. You must have had some of those skills um, to have moved forward the way you have in your life.
0: yeah, I think that you know i I think that I had more skills than I gave myself credit for in you know, when I was coming out of college, and I don't, I want to be clear, I don't think that I got those as a result of sitting in the classroom. Mm -hmm. I actually think that I I developed a lot of those in all of the things I did outside of the classroom in college. When I look back at how I spent my time, you know, I definitely could have spent it, way better than I did, but well, I was always working like two or three jobs. Um, you know, I, I got involved with a startup very early on my sophomore year of college. I worked with them for three years. I waited tables for a year. I worked in, uh, you know, I washed dishes in the back of a kitchen for a year. I delivered newspapers. I sold ad space. I, I was doing things the entire time. And it wasn't until several years out of college that I looked back and I was like, wow, I actually have this, this the whole tool chest of skills i didn't see those as things that I could leverage for employment until way later, looking back, like that context was missing for me until I was in the real world
1: so at praxis, where you unleash your potential with no degree required, my guess would be that that six month boot camp really is about um, improving upon or fostering those employability skills.
0: It is about skills development, but it's also about gaining context for your skills so our I would say that our boot camp is a discovery process in, in, in many ways that a lot of people do not understand the value that they gained from, from pre- previous experiences in their life. It's very difficult to understand, hey, I learned this thing. It wasn't a job, but maybe I had a responsibility. You know, I was in high school. I was a leader of a student group. or I put on a fundraiser. Or I did this thing back. You know, it wasn't a job. So it's very difficult to make the leap in many cases to just using that as a selling point down the road to unlock an opportunity. And I think that, you know, that's something we do really well is help people contextualize the things that they already know how to do the skills that they got from valuable life experiences, even if it didn't look like a job.
1: And many people can't identify that for themselves, um, or by themselves. So I guess you're helping them pull those things out.
0: I think so. And I think that it's it is difficult if you've never been in the real world, or you have very limited real world experience to understand what people in the real world find valuable. School doesn't teach those kinds of things. And, and it, it, there may be some base knowledge that you develop in, in school, but in school, the metric you're, you're working towards is a grade. It's, you're, you're trying to get good grades to move on to the next level. You're trying to you know, graduate with top marks to um, get into a good college. But in the real world, it's, it's proved that what you know and know how to do is actually valuable, valuable enough that somebody wants to give you an opportunity that, that they will hire you to do something. And that's a little, that's a different incentive structure than the classroom. And I think that it is difficult to make that leap for people who, who haven't been in that environment before.
1: Oh, I'd certainly agree with you as does the research that experiential learning is extremely powerful. talk now about testimonials. There are many of them on your website. These people are off and running because of the work they did or the progress they made with Praxis.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the, the success stories are awesome. I, I, I love, um, you know, I love working with people in, in that process, in the bootcamp process as they kind of, you know, have those aha moments and realize where their skills are valuable for the first time, where they figure out, Hey, I, you know, I really like marketing. This is something I can see myself in, but what's even more uh, more valuable, more rewarding is watching them win opportunities, watching them you know go go get a strong start get get their first job, career job opportunity, and then watching them six months out, a year out, watching them promote and climb the ladder because you know mm-hmm. they 've suddenly have recontextualized the way that they see their careers and that's that 's just that 's one of my favorite parts about what we do
1: it gives you validation doesn 't it seeing the success of the participants and your clients so Praxis is virtual. It's remote. It's online. What would you say? How would you respond to the criticism of online learning? People who don't want any part of it say there's no need for it. That person to person is the only way to go.
0: I, I would say that our program is not for them, to be completely honest. Mm-hmm. I can point to so many success stories of, of our graduates who, who have come out with a great outcome. And that is enough value. Validation for me—that's enough proof that what we do works and it, it delivers. It delivers a very valuable experience for the customers that we serve. But I—I will—I can confidently say I know that not everyone will succeed in the environment. It does take a special type of person—a self-motivated individual, somebody who who is very serious about a self-directed learning experience. Our our program is not about you know come sit in the classroom and we're going to give you an assignment and do that, and we're going to give you a grade. It's much more about, you know, kind of taking charge of your own personal and professional development. We're going to, we're going to give you a curriculum. We're going to give you support and feedback and some direction, but you have to put the effort in. You cannot coast by through this. So I would, I would say it, it, you have, you have to want to do that. And, and that is not for everybody.
1: Well, in terms of the naysayers, I would say in this time where we're um, we've moved to online learning across Canada and the United States, from kindergarten right through post-secondary school, and people are looking for courses like the one you're offering. Um, hopefully, their their minds are going to be changed.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. As 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 unfortunate that this is the circumstance that I think has forced a lot of people to to rapidly shift to online learning. I think that there is some, some silver lining here about the things that we're all learning for the first time in many cases, like that, that there are avenues through online learning that even if we're not fully online, you know, even if we return to some semblance of the, the normal schooling, like there's an opportunity here to augment or to improve the experience by taking advantage of the technology that's out there today. And that's, that's an exciting thing, I think.
1: Well, online learning isn't just about Completing an assignment and submitting it online now. Our online platforms for discussions. There's numerous choices. You and I are right now looking at each other on a screen. We have happy hours with our friends right now, just looking at each other on a platform. It's there's so much potential. You're engaging. You're having conversation. You're still problem solving. It, it's it's a different world.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that the, there's so many so many different applications. I think that that we didn't even realize were, were possibilities, but now everybody's getting creative because we're all trapped inside.
1: Mitchell, what advice would you give to someone who right about this time of year, they're about to graduate from grade 12 and let's say they've been accepted into university, a couple of universities or colleges, but there's something in their gut. And in your book, you do talk about that, paying attention to what our gut is telling us. What advice would you give them?
0: Yeah. So that, that is a, that's a very valuable question. I wish that I would have I would have asked myself that a little bit more objectively uh, when, I, when I was that age and, and struggling with, with the different option sets. So what I would recommend is that if, if you are on the fence, should I go to college or not? If that's truly an on-the-fence decision and it's not which of these three colleges I should go to, that's a different decision. If you're on the fence, maybe don't go yet. Like maybe go try and, and facilitate a better experiment. Maybe move to a college town, go get a job and, and see, is it the social experience that I'm missing out on? Is, was that what I was craving? Or is there still a gap? If, if you, go, you go do that and you still feel like college is the right place and the right thing for you, maybe, maybe you should reconsider at that point. But if you're on the fence and in particular, if you have to take out student loans to pay for it, you owe, yourself, you owe yourself that decision-making process. Cut yourself a little bit of slack. Forget about what other people are saying. Forget about the social pressure, but, but do not go mortgage your future just because that's the default way people make decisions. Go be, you know, before you make a $30,000 decision or a, in, in many cases, a 10 or 20 year financial commitment, go explore some of your options and, and be very confident that this is the right path for you before you before you go that route that's that's the thing i think a lot of people don't give themselves the freedom to make that decision and and end up you know they end up getting getting in a bind they you know they get out of school and employment is hard and they have student debt and they have to take a job and and if you can avoid that now give yourself the freedom to do that
1: and in canada the stats say that only 35% of our young people are paying off that student loan within three years of graduating. That means they're carrying that debt with them for a very long time into the future. Why put yourself in that kind of a debt when you're not even really sure, or it's not the path that you're going to end up going on anyway.
0: Yeah. And, and I don't, so whether you go to college or not, I think it's an entirely different scenario. If you can walk out without debt, than if you're walking out with a, a huge financial burden and I don't, Mean that college is any more valuable one way or the other, I think that it 's just like anything else it is going to be what you put into it you 're going to get out what you put into it. If you have no idea what you want to do, then you have to you, you owe it to yourself to think you know, is there a better higher use more valuable use of my next twelve months of my next four years and if that 's the case, go pursue that until you 're confident that college is the, the best use of your next you know one year, two year, four years. Um, the, the other thing that I think you can see this in in other statistics, and, and I'm not familiar with can, Canadian statistics, but I know that of, of US, and, um, U.S. college, like I was reading some, some jaw-dropping statistics for me. is like um, 27% of college graduates, only 27% actually work in a field related to their major after they graduate. Mm. And then another one is between 30 and 80% of U.S. college students change their major before they graduate. And you see these different kind of, I, I like to look at them as indicators. There's a great book called, um, How Will You Measure Your Life by Clayton Christensen. And he, and he uses this, this terminology called the difference between an emergent and a deliberate strategy. And I think that using that, that terminology, I think a lot of people are using deliberate tactics for an emergent strategy they're going to college they're not sure what they want to do and they're using that you know they're they're trying to experiment and figure out what they want to do but college is a much better environment if you already know i want to go this route than a place where you go and try and figure it out it's just too costly and takes too much time today to to use that as your experimentation ground
1: let me put on my parent hat Uh, got three, they're all in their 20s. There was never any question in any of their minds or their intentions that they were all going to university, period. One is now in Nova Scotia doing his PhD and the other two are at universities in Ontario and they're finding their way. Regardless though, two of them really were not quite sure and one of them has changed his career choice more than once. And I know several people uh, whose whose children have done the exact same thing. And changing that can mean a new curriculum. It can mean that's fine if all the pieces of the puzzle fit, but it could also mean adding one or two years on to your education. Maybe we need to give ourselves permission uh, to take a break though. And the break doesn't have to be a whole year. It could be six months. Second semester at our universities and colleges start in January of every year. And during that time, six months, whatever you need, You could be taking online courses, you could be trying a couple of different jobs, traveling, uh, discovering new possibilities. You figure it out. It's great advice, Mitchell.
0: I appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, there are so many different options, so many different options to run lower cost, quicker experiments than, than college in many cases.
1: And with that, let's jump over to what you recommend in your book, that we should be asking ourselves questions every single day. Three different questions. Do I like what I'm doing? Is it getting me somewhere I want to go? And what am I giving up to get there? Are you suggesting, Mitchell, that we keep a log or a daily kind of entry? Or is your message really that by asking ourselves these questions, it will help us uh, head in the right direction?
0: Yeah, so I think that it, it's more of a metaphor than an actual daily administrative burden on yourself. And I think <laughs> that it's partic- particularly relevant when your your body is already telling you. I think we're, we're all. We all know when we're unhappy. We can all feel it inside, you know, and and even if you can't feel it, there are there are indicators that I think if you start to pay attention, these things will stand out. You notice yourself, you know, hitting snooze on the alarm more times and sleeping in regularly because you're just not looking forward to the day. You're not excited about what you're doing. You find yourself, you know, getting extra fatigued in the afternoon. Like it's it's difficult to get back to work or you're just... You're just kind of listless in your work. Like there are, there are, those are flags to you, to yourself. Like, Hey, maybe, maybe what I'm doing or where I'm at is not where I should be. And I think that that's where exercises like that begin to be very valuable over time. Like you have to get brutally honest with yourself. And if you're not like you are, you are choosing, you are choosing to be unhappy. And when you choose, when you deliberately make that choice, like, you don't get sympathy from other people. You don't deserve sympathy. If you're not going to put in the work and be brutally honest and make steps to make the situation better for yourself, then, then you, have, you have resigned to be unhappy. And I think that you owe it to yourself. If you value being happy, you value fulfillment, then you've, you've got to do something whenever, whenever those indicators, whenever your body's telling you, hey, I'm unhappy, you've got to do something about that.
1: Just a connection there. I've interviewed several people over the last little while, and some of them were unhappy in their careers for almost 20 years. Um, I guess we should be asking ourselves, why are we waiting if we're seeing those signs? We don't need to wait 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Imagine how powerful it would be, as you suggest, that if we actually found our path uh, in our early 20s, even late 20s, and walked out that door every single day feeling joyous as opposed to dreading what we were facing, things would be so different. Um, I think we owe it to ourselves because when we're unhappy, we're making the people around us unhappy as well. We owe it to everyone that we love.
0: Yeah, that's why that's why at Praxis we our, our stated mission is to help people discover and do work that makes them come alive. And that's why we say that. Work that makes you come alive. That's fundamentally different than, you know, going and punching the time card because that's that's just a job. That's what the job that you have. Pursuing things that make you come alive, that's so much different than resigning to a life of boredom. And I think that it's it's when you're bored, it's when you are you're not intellectually stimulated or challenged or your your curiosity is held in check. That's when those those vices, the temptations to just like cope, that that's when those come into to effect. And it's just it's so much it's so much more fulfilling from my own experience to be in the type of work that every day you you find yourself getting lost in a problem and and just you you you're so intensely focused on the end result that it's something that you look forward to every day and and you also get this validation from from helping other people that what i'm doing is valuable that is so much more valuable and rewarding and and just fun than than feeling like you have to get out of bed every day and go to a job that you're not interested in doing that is that is a, it's an entirely different lifestyle and life waiting for you when you find that work that makes you come alive.
1: So let's help people find some middle ground, Mitchell. There are many people who can't just pick up and leave work, whether or not they have a young family or they have uh, burdensome debt, whatever their reasons are. And so we can continue to, to begrudgingly head out the door every morning to go to work but if there's a light at the end of the tunnel and we're finding a way through an online course like Praxis is offering, or we found something that we're very interested in that we're doing more research in or starting to discover.
0: Yeah. I think there, there is a happy medium and I, I don't want to be facetious and and pretend like everybody can just Go quit obligations, and suddenly they're they're going to be in a better place. Like there, in in many cases, this does take some maneuvering, some some intentional strategy. I think the first thing is, if you know you're unhappy and you don't know what makes you happy, first is go run some experiments in your spare time. Figure out what is the next stepping stone maybe it's it's taking on a side project outside of work or it's reading books or starting a blog or go get involved in a club like go start go participate in toastmasters or or something that gets you out and exposes you to some different things so you can kind of find what are these other things outside because let's be honest like some people may find fulfillment in hobbies and, and a job is a means to, to facilitate what's more important to them. I'm not saying everybody has to be engaged in a career like their nine to five job or whatever they spend most of their time. That doesn't have to be the most fulfilling thing. For many people, it's getting involved in their community or, you know, investing their time in their family. Whatever that is, you need to figure that part out first. And then try and approach, you know, what's the ideal mix between my work and, you know, this other thing that's more rewarding. But once you find that, you owe it to yourself to to figure out how to optimize for that. That's
1: And that's going to change over time. I mean, I'm uh, close to close to twice your age. We'll just say it that way. And I would say, you know, what I enjoyed in my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, and now my 50s, it's, it's just totally different based on your context um, as you're growing, as you have a family, as you build relationships and all of those different experiences along the way. I loved the career that I was in and retired from about a year and a half ago, but venturing into this new world of business, it's just, there's so many things that I've never experienced before that are just, it's taking me on a new path at this time in my life. So um, I guess I would say, people have heard me say this before, it's not my expression, but that treadmill where we go, 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 and we don't actually stop to say, hold on a minute. You know, maybe in this time where we've got those of us who are lucky enough to be staying at home, have that time, we need to stop and pay attention
0: yeah and I think that it's also a tendency I, I think you make an important point. There is a season for everything in life, and I think that there's a tendency sometimes to to fall victim of of the sunk cost fallacy where i I really enjoyed this thing and I've invested a ton of time and energy and this is the thing I love doing, and suddenly it's not anymore and I think there's a tendency to to feel like you have to stay committed to that one thing that used to bring you joy. It's okay to change your mind it's okay and When you, when you recognize that, I think you can regain your power and you can begin to, to, to figure out, okay, well, that's what used to be the thing for me. Well, what is it now? That's, that's a, that's, that's a time to reprioritize and refigure it out. It's okay to go leap, you know, and change your mind and find something new.
1: So let's go back in time. You, uh, you were finishing college. You were heading off to law school. Would you go back? Do you have any regrets? Would you actually go back and say, I wish I hadn't done that?
0: that that is a tough question yeah. to be honest <laughs> and it's it's tough because i honestly i honestly cannot tell you uh with 100% conviction whether i would be where i am today if a lot of the things that happened had not happened the way that they happened it, yeah. if i hadn't gone through a lot of the struggles and that just like intense churning inside of like i'm i'm dissatisfied that that happened Most of the time, I was in college, and even a couple years out. If I hadn't done that, I don't know that I would have the resolve that I have today to live so true to the things that matter to me. Mm -hmm. I think that I would have. I would have been. I. I know that I, for years, I had this other life planned. I. I had just resigned to kind of a life of dissatisfaction, especially as I thought about becoming a lawyer. I was like, "Well, I'm gonna. This is the path. It's three and a half years for me to to get into the." you know, into the real world as an attorney. I start at the bottom. I'm going to have a ton of student debt. And, you know, then you get a mortgage, you get married and lawyers are unhappy. I'll probably end up divorced a few times. Like that's just the life I'm signing up for. And, and there was, there was a time in my life where I was like, that's the route that I've chosen. And I, I was, I felt like I didn't deserve happiness. And now when I look back, I'm like, you know what? I'm glad that I went through those things. I'm glad that I struggled for so long and that I that I kind of suffered through these things. And what I'm happiest about is that I recognize that today because that it's it's such such a deep deep-seated passion for me now to go help other people avoid that. And that's kind of I kind of feel like at this season in my life that is my calling to do and I would not have figured that out if I had not struggled. Struggled yourself.
1: It goes back to the conversation we were having a little bit earlier about experiences happening for a reason.
0: Yeah. I did not know the reasons at the time, but it's okay.
1: And my guess is that most of us don't. So Michelle, anyone who wants to learn more about you or the work that you do at Praxis, how can they contact
0: you? The best place is just to go to discoverpraxis.com and visit the website. There's a ton of information there. Okay. We have a, a a ton of resources from the homepage, career launch resources, books, podcasts blog posts on different topics. We have a weekly newsletter. There's, there's so much content there and I'm always happy to have a conversation with anybody who's struggling on these things. Feel free to shoot me an email, Mitchell at discoverpraxis.com. My inbox is always open and I I try to be responsive. So I'd love to have a conversation.
1: So any of our listeners who'd like some more information, just go to the webpage, check things out and contact Mitchell uh, should you wish to.
0: Absolutely. Even if we're not the right next step, if, if going and reading through different blog posts, listening to podcasts, if that helps you get clarity, that's, that's the goal. Obviously, you know, if, if there is the opportunity to help you take that next step, we're always excited to work with people.
1: Well, thanks so much for joining us today. And I love your words. If you want to start living the life you love, you need to stop doing the things you hate. (laughs) I'm, I'm confident that your words of advice today, Mitchell, will be heard by many, whether it's our young people, our teenagers, our young adults, or maybe other people who are just in a place in their life where they need to reset.
0: Awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and I've enjoyed our conversation.
1: Thanks again. Stay healthy and safe, everyone.
0: Thanks for listening. For more episodes learning from people who are steering us in the right direction, visit lynnmclaughlin.com or subscribe to this podcast feed.